Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, good morning, Jubilee fam. Uh, It is so good to be with you. I missed you last week out camping with my family, but it's good to be back. Uh, Caught the service online. It was fantastic. David Harrington's gift is is so helpful to us. So grateful for it. Grateful to have Mark Goins with us today from City of Joy Fellowship. Uh, I met their pastor, Kimpton Turner, about five years ago. I was a part of this uh, group that got to pray for him before they went out into East St. Louis to plant that wonderful dynamic, beautiful church. And we become friends over the years, mainly over barbecue, but have also had him speak into uh, some leadership context that, that I run. And we'll have him, Kimpton, he'll speak this year at Jubilee Church on uh, December 6th. And he is, just has a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, teaching gift. So really looking forward to that. Both Mark and Kimpton are friends of the house. And my hope is that over the years that that will be come more and more true. Well, I am just full of enthusiasm to unpack our text today uh, because it is rich in meaning and it is far-reaching in its meaning. Uh, I think today has the potential to be perhaps one of the most empowering, life-changing messages of the year because it's going to get to the heart uh, what drives every aspect of your life, particularly your relational life. It's going to speak into really why we experience conflict and division and give us the blueprint to get out of that. It's going to help you to be the friend that you've always wanted to be. It's going to help you to be the spouse you've always wanted to be. And if you uh, want to be married, man, it's going to help you be the person uh, that you're looking for is looking for, if you catch my drift on that. Uh, but you will be a better boss, a better employee, a coworker, roommate, and this will bring a level of joy into your relationships that really you have yet to experience. So you're thinking, well, Brian, what's the catch? I mean, that sounds like, that sounds pretty amazing. What's the catch? Well, the catch is that it's going to require that you fight every instinct, uh, so much so that it's going to feel like you're dying. But what's going to happen is going to produce a, a rebirth in you. God wants to put a seed in you that if you feed that and you follow it, it's going to absolutely transform the operating system of your life, the way that you see the world, the grid to which you see everything. And, the, and, the, and what the path looks like is humility. And the person on that path has a name that's above all names, and that is Jesus. So we're going to get right into it. So verse 1 and 2, uh, Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, These two verses are a message in and of themselves, but I'll just simply say, Paul, here, is saying that there is a direct correlation between following Jesus, between participating in the spirit and the unity that you have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, This church, it's important to remember, this church got started from uh, three distinct people groups. So this is uh, outside of ideologies and and secondary affiliations. This church got started with these three different uh, people groups, uh, different classes, different ideologies, different uh, political affiliations, different uh, ethnicities, and and now all of a sudden they find themselves in this 
tight church connection. And Paul's reminding them of their unity in Christ that will lead to unity with other Christians despite their background. In fact, Paul is saying that this doesn't take a supersized participation with the Spirit to be this way. In fact, he's like, man, if there's any participation with the Spirit, I mean, if you're like even slightly going in the direction of Jesus, even just a little bit, man, this is what's going to happen. You're, you're going to find yourselves having the same mind, having the same heart with brothers and sisters. In fact, he's going to say, look, look you need to know this, to, to step out, to be out of step with your brothers and sisters in heart and mind on the primary thing, not secondary thing, but primary thing, is to be out of step with Jesus himself. And then he says, this is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to live this way. This is the key, in other words, to killing the racism, bigotry, and bias, and all those forms, to transforming any relationship that you have, and really healing the divide that's in our country, and you experience the sense of joy and fulfillment that really we all want. And this is it. In verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That, those words, that phrase, I should say, selfish ambition and, and conceit are, are two unbelievably rich words. In fact, if you look at five different translations, you'll see five different words that they'll use because the Greek word uh, is, is pretty dynamic in what it's trying to say. Selfish ambition is describing the pattern of people who are divided and, and like to fight. Conceit is getting to the motive. So, so selfish ambition describes the pattern of people. Conceit is getting to the motive. So selfish ambition, the, the word really means to be uh, a hyper fighter. It means, uh, probably the best translation means to have a spirit of rivalry. So it's one thing uh, to fight in order to live. It's another thing to live in order to fight. It's literally where we get our word partisanship. And this is so relevant because a person of selfish ambition has a grid of reality that isn't governed by truth, but it's governed by prejudice. Now, here's the tough question. How do you know this is true for you? Well, this is how you know. Let me ask you this. What governs your relationship with people? Is it your needs, your feelings, or is it the truth? You see, you can either come to understand your needs through the lens of the truth or you can come to understand the truth through the lens of your needs. If the truth governs your needs, then you can have a decent, decent conversation with someone. You can say, okay, I have my needs and you have your needs, so let's, but let's look at what is true. But if you let your needs govern your understanding of the truth, then you'll be a hyperfighter. By default, you'll be a person of selfish ambitions. Now, there is a spectrum to this, but that would be true for you. So for those... Now, for those inside the conflict, this is really, really hard to see. I mean, I've been in counseling situations where really the level of discernment of like what's going on, it, it, I mean, it really doesn't take much. But for those inside the conflict, it is impossible to see. And, and here's why, because there is a spirit at work. There's a spirit of rivalry. There is selfish ambition, meaning there's a failure to see my needs through the lens of the truth, but rather I am seeing the truth through the lens of my needs. And in these moments, we, what we think is my needs are right because they are my needs. Or uh, my group is right because they are the needs of my group. And you will virtually see no difference between your needs or your group's needs and the truth. And in those moments, Paul is saying, you are no longer participating with Jesus. You are no longer participating with the spirit of God. You are participating with the spirit of rivalry, of selfish 
ambition, a spirit that makes everything about you, not the issue, not the truth, but you. You become the, the center of almost everything. And if this takes over your life, broken relationships are everywhere. And you will think, hey, man, this is just a personality clash when in reality you take everything personally. I mean, have you ever responded to someone who really loves you? Like they're trying to help you and in your response to their input, you rejected it because you said, well, they just don't understand. If they really understood my situation, they would not be giving me that input. There are two things that are true. Number one, they probably don't, un- they don't probably exactly understand what you're going through, but it's probably closer than you think. But two, you have, if you think that way, you have drawn a line in the sand that says that truth is over here where my needs are and how I'm feeling. You've drawn a line in the sand. So, okay, truth is over here and how I feel. And you will, you will fight with everyone. And by definition, it will be impossible for you to ever see the truth. And the only way to get out of it, and the only way for people to relate to you is if they capitulate to your needs, which you're like, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is, is when they have a need and they do the same thing, and that starts a downward cycle of division and rivalry, which is absolutely rampant in our culture. Now, before you just think this affects just a few different groups of people, it's a great time to remind us that Paul is writing to his best church. I mean, this is by, he is by far and away the most encouraging to this group. This is the healthiest church that he writes to, but, but yet Paul is telling us that even the best people will be dominated by a spirit of rivalry unless they guard against us. And let me just say, all of us, there's a spectrum here. All of us are at least tempted to put our feelings, our needs before the truth. It's why there is so much division in our culture right now. So selfish ambition is the pattern. So what is the cause? Well, it's this word vain conceit. Uh, some translations say vain conceit. Ours says just conceit. Uh, the King James version, I think, says it the most accurately. It says vainglory. Now, that, that word may not mean anything to you. It's hard to understand at first, first glance, but the Greek word here is kinodoxia. Now, you may know the word doxa, which is glory. Uh, if you've ever heard the phrase doxology, that is the, the glory word, the glory saying. Anytime we want to say something you know, that gives glory to God, that is the doxology. It's the good word. It's the good saying. Kino, though, Kinodoxia, so kina means empty. It actually more literally means a vessel devoid of substance or content. And so the word kinodoxia means a person who is empty of, starving for glory. Paul says, do nothing out of glory hunger. And there's a reason why you and I do things out of selfish ambition There's a reason why we put our needs before the truth, our feelings before the truth. It's because every human heart is hungry for glory, hungry for a sense of importance and value. Every person feels this desire that they want to matter. Fundamentally, from the deepest part of our soul, we have this sense that we don't matter. We know this and we are deeply, deeply afraid of it. And so when you get in touch with what really drives you, you'll realize the worst thing for a human being is not to be hated. It's not to be opposed. It's to be ignored. It's to not matter. The worst thing that we are afraid of is to not have glory, that we will be 
insignificant, unimportant, marginal, peripheral. The Bible tells us and our human experience um, confirms it that in the deepest recess of our hearts, we are trying to manufacture a sense of glory. We feel expendable, but we want to last. We feel marginal, but we want to be at the center. We feel small, but we want to be big. We are so afraid of this that we we will manufacture success and approval because we are chasing our own sense of glory. Vain glory. We are starved for glory. That's why when we get snubbed, we go ballistic. It's not rational or, or truth-seeking, but it is a motive in self-seeking. And those outside of our struggle think we're going out of our minds, but on inside, it's not so simple. Outside, you'll say, hey, just stop. You know, like, don't be so ignorant. But on the inside, there's no way we can stop because we are hungry for glory. Um. There was this star named Madonna. If you're my age, you probably remember who she is for the young people. Just Google her. She said this. She says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre that has always been pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. The thing that drives us, if we don't put it in check, if we don't go in a different direction, is this hunger for glory. And we'll try to squeeze it out of every relationship, every transaction, every moment of our lives. So what do we do? Well, well, Paul is clearly saying that, that we need to participate with the spirit, not the spirit of God, not the spirit of rivalry. So what, is this, what does it look like to participate in the spirit of God? Well, he's going to tease that out and he's going he's to end up with Jesus to tell us how, this, how we get this all. So he says, okay, this is what you do. Rather, instead of doing that, rather in humility, value others before yourselves. In other words, act like he is more important. Treat her as though she is more important. Approach other people groups of this world as though their safety, security, and well-being is more valuable than your safety, security, and well-being. I mean, have you ever been around someone who other people have counted as more important to you or you have counted more important to you? And if you can't think of any situation, I'll remind you, if you've ever been to a wedding uh, where you weren't the bride or the groom. And did you notice how people stood in line for hours to talk to the bride, but nobody stood in line to talk to you? And you didn't think anything of it. You just, all the attention was on the bride. Well, did you notice when you walked in the sanctuary, everyone stood up when she walked in, but did you notice that no one stood up when you walked in? In that moment, we know how to treat other people as more significant than ours and that's what Paul is saying. When you encounter someone, treat them as treat them with a sense of awe and value. Like, man, they are so important. Their life is so valuable and precious. And you just treat people that way. Then he says, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this is hard for me, and it might be hard for you as well, because follow me, I am mostly interested in the things that interest me. I'm not really interested in the things that don't interest me. I'm mainly interested in the things that interest me. So I'm not naturally going to be interested in things I'm not interested in. And so my mind, my, my, my time, my money are going to go things that interest me. And it's not going to go through the things that don't interest me. But here's the problem. If I follow my interest only, 
I'll become a hyperfighter. I'll be, I'll, I'll be filled with selfish ambition because I'm trying to get something out of that. Now, so when you encounter someone whose interests don't match yours, and maybe you found that true in a marriage. I mean, sometimes I hear this, like, you know, I've fallen in and out of love, but I really think people fall in and out of interest. Paul's saying, don't do that in your relationships. Don't, don't make your interest be the thing that can value their interest, not just your own entrance, interest. Verse five, it says, and then have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I just want to remind you that if you're a Christian, you're a believer, you have this mind, it's yours. And, and, and Paul is encouraging us to access this mind, this mindset. And, and so he's saying Jesus approached his relationships. And now he's getting ready to say, so Jesus approached his relationships this way. Now you need to approach your relationships this way. And this is what it looked like. Verse six, he says, who Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Other translations say that he never used the fact that he was God to his own advantage, which is absolutely huge because you and I get in a relationship and we think we're at least 50% of this thing. I'm at least as good as him. I'm at least as good as her. So I have certain rights. I have certain things that I should expect. I have certain things that I should demand. And Paul says, hold on a second. Here's Jesus who was God and not once in his earthly ministry did he ever push the I'm God button. He never said, hey, one, hey, never one, hey, like slide over. I'm gonna take the best seat because I'm God. He never once leveraged himself for his own sake. You and I are tempted to do this all the time. I deserve this because fill in the blank. I've worked hard for this company. I've done so much for him. I've done so much for her. I've done so much for them. Where, where is my due? Jesus did not do that one time. Paul shows up and says, okay, listen, Jesus was important. He was the bride. He was the business guru, the war hero. He was the person that everyone should have considered as more important than them because he was God. And yet, and yet he never once used the fact that he was God to his own advantage. But verse seven says, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself. All the rights to his name, all the respect, all the love, all the honor, all the things that he had coming to him, he emptied himself. You know what we say in our culture? She's full of herself. He's full of himself. Jesus emptied himself. Verse seven, by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And he didn't have to do any of that. I mean, why, why did he do that? I mean, what was he up to? What was the point? And verse eight says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He, had a, he made a decision, which every person right here, right now, you have this decision to make. You have a decision to make in how you will engage others. And what was his decision? He humbled himself. Listen, nobody humbled him. He humbled humbled himself. He decided to place himself under. He decided to subordinate his rights. He humbled himself. And guess who he humbled himself to? You and me. How did he humble himself? Did he admit that he was wrong, even though it meant he was going to be really embarrassed? No, it was much bigger than that. Did he go to community group to bless others, even when he didn't feel like it? No, it's even bigger than that. Did he express value for another race, even at the risk of 
conceding a political point. It was even bigger than that. It says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let me see if I can explain this. So it's, so it's almost like Jesus had this dilemma, if I can call it that. He had this choice to make. I, I can either hold on to my rights, get the respect, the love that's due me, all the accolades, all of that, and have no relationship with mankind. So I can either hold on to what's due me and have no relationship with mankind, or I can dip into the world. I can give up my rights and have relationship with them. I, I, I can have everything that I deserve and have nothing to do with them, or I can give up everything I deserve and have relationship and make relationship with them possible. I can become one of them. I can submit to people who are far, far, far inferior to me, the creator submitting to the created in order to pay for their sin and make this relationship possible. But, but he could not have it both ways and neither can you. When Jesus went to the cross, he put your needs above his rights. He submitted himself to us. And not only did he not need to do this because he was a fully satisfied in the Godhead, but we were not even close to being equals with him in the first place. How much more should we do this with our spouse, our neighbor, our community group members, our political opponents? So here's the decision that you have to make. Claim your rights, kill relationship, participate in the widening divide, or lay down your rights, supersize your relationship, and participate in the healing of our country. Well, how do we do this? Well, we don't look to each other. We don't look to the person that we're submitting to, because if we do, if we look to their value, we won't. We can't look to others. We have to look to him who didn't just think he was right, but actually was right. And yet he submitted himself to us. So why did he do this? Why did Jesus do this? He did it so that you and I can get the glory that our hearts so desperately, desperately want. Before Jesus went to the cross in John 17, he prayed this to the Father. He says, the glory that you have given to me, I am giving to them. He says, I want them to have the glory that I had before the world existed. On the cross, he emptied himself of his glory so that we could be filled with his. On the cross, Jesus was cosmically ignored. His life did not matter. He was forsaken by the Father. He was forsaken. He was forgotten. Dear Christian, when God in his word says that we have everything for life and godliness, he meant it to seek out your own glory out of selfish ambition or rivalry to put your needs above the truth. What truth are we talking about? The truth that God has given you in Christ Jesus exactly what you're looking for. And here's the thing. He's the only one who can give it to you. He's the only one who can give it to you. You know, I don't know if you watched the show, The Voice. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I, I've watched that show. Um, but yeah, I watch it. And if you never watched it, here's what the show is. It's a blind audition. Uh, all the judges, these four judges, these four kind of quasi-celebrities are in four chairs and, and their backs are to the person singing so they can't see them, they can only hear them. 
And so they'll sing, and, and then if, if, they, if the judge likes them, they'll hit this big red button. They're on these big thrones. They'll hit this big red button. What lights up is, I want you, okay? And so the judge turns around like, okay, I want you on my team. I think you're talented. I think you got what it takes, you, you know? And then what's really cool, if you watch the show, is when all four judges hit the I want you button. I mean, it's just kind of a cool scene. Now, there, there's, a, there's a time in the show that I almost is like really hard to watch is when the person is singing their heart out and nobody hits the button. Nobody turns around. I mean, the message could not be any clearer. Nobody wants you. And it's just this gut-wrenching moment in the show. And I remember a few years back, I'm watching the show and it hit me. And this is what hit me. You and I are auditioning in front of people who do not even have a red button. We are auditioning in front of our parents, in front of our spouses, in front of our friends. Uh, we do it for a job. We, we do it for a, a political affiliation. And what we are seeking out of everything and everyone is the glory that our hearts long for. And we're auditioning in front of people who don't even have a button. But there is one person who has this button. And he went to the cross and he died for you to give you the glory that your heart so desperately wants. And here's what I want you to know. He has given it to you. He has given it to you. He has given it to you. So here, here's, here's, the, here's the takeaway for us. Very practically, every time you feel snubbed, every time you feel taken advantage of, forgotten, ignored, marginalized, made to feel like you don't matter, made to feel like you don't count, it's a signal to you that you have a desire put there by your maker that can only be filled with a relationship, be filled by a relationship with your maker. Don't look to others to treat you differently. You'll keep searching. You'll keep searching. You'll be filled with self-ambition. You'll be a part of the divide. You'll mess up your relationships. You'll mess up your marriage. You'll mess up everything. And the reason why is because you, you were born to have a sense of glory. You were born with, to have a sense of significance and that you matter. But there's only one who can give it to you. And the good news, the really good news, this is why the gospel is good news, is he's given it to you. So here's what you do. You turn from that pursuit, from participating in a spirit of rivalry, of vainglory, of, of vain conceit, and you participate with Jesus and you follow the path of humility. You count others as more valuable than you. You look to other people's interests more than yourself. You empty yourself of your rights and you become a servant to all. And how do we know this works out? Well, because Jesus got the name that's above every name. His, his name is the only name that matters and will ever matter and those connected to him. Those who are in Christ, in a relationship with Christ. And here's the thing, this will free you up. This will free you up to love people in ways that you never thought were possible. We've got pathways practically in our church. There are little standbys that are critical for everyone. One is getting into community. And it's in community that you, that you discover really how much you need approval from other people and how much you need other people and how much you're seeking after it. We give opportunities to serve. 
and you get and you and you bounce up this need like oh man this is tough and here's something man you there's a lot of reasons to serve but one of the reasons why you need to serve is because it will take you down this path of not participating with the spirit of rivalry but participating with the spirit of God and if you've never if you've never had this moment where you're like man I I want I want to I want to I want to stop being a part of of the divide, and I want to, I want, I want that thing satisfied in me. That glory. It, 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 here it is: is that you reach out to Jesus, not with part of yourself, but with all of yourself. And here's what we're gonna do: I'm gonna be back, and I'm gonna lead you in a, in a prayer. But we're gonna sing a song that just talks about that. That talks about how we can give all of ourselves to Him. And here's the good news: He gives all of ourselves, all of Himself, to us.